Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace Theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today, one of our listeners has a great question, and the question is, how was Jesus God incarnate? What an important question. A classic statement on why Jesus became man and its answer, it's found in Anselm of Canterbury's theological masterpiece, known as Curious Duus Homo, also known as Why God Became Man. The book deals with the question of the incarnation. And now Anselm states that God became man in Christ because only one who was both God and man could achieve our salvation. The incarnation, Jesus taking on fully human state, it shows us that God has not abandoned us, but rather loves and values us even in our fallen state. We need to ask the question, why did God put on human flesh? And we need to understand that the atonement is the reason that God became a man. Hebrews 10, 4 through 7 and verse 10 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And, and by that will uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Matthew one twenty one says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus linked the success of his mission to the crucifixion in John 12.32, which says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And so, in John's gospel, the crucifixion is spoken of at that vital hour for which Jesus came. The death of Jesus is also a major theme throughout the Old Testament. First, in regards to the meaning of the sacrifices, the meaning at the heart of the law, and then in regards to the prophecies, which focused increasingly on the promise of a coming Redeemer. Isaiah 53 and other Old Testament texts speak of the suffering of the delivered to come. In fact, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul teaches that even Abraham, who lived before both the law and the prophets, was saved by faith in the Lord Jesus in Galatians 3, 8, and 16. And furthermore, Jesus told the downcast disciples on the Emmaus Road that the Old Testament foretold his death and resurrection in Luke 24, 25-27. So the atonement of Christ is the primary reason for the incarnation. It explains the twofold nature of Jesus and the focal point of the world and biblical history. In fact, several explanations follow from the foundation we have already built on the doctrine of the incarnation. First, according to Scripture, Calvary is the center of Christianity, and many consider the incarnation to be the most important thing. In other words, they consider God identifying himself with man and consider the atonement as something like an afterthought. 
According to the Bible, the reason for the God-man is that it required just such a person to die for our salvation. And to focus on the incarnation apart from the cross leads to a false sentimentality and to neglect the horror and the magnitude of human sin. Second, if Christ's death on the cross is... Uh, is the incarnation's true meaning, then there's no gospel without the cross. Christmas, or the birth of Jesus itself, is no gospel. The life of Christ alone is no gospel. Even the resurrection, important as it is for the whole scheme of things, is no gospel by itself. The good news is not just that God became a man, nor that God has spoken to reveal a proper way of life to us. The good news is not even our great triumph over that great enemy we call death. Instead, the good news is that sin has been dealt with. The resurrection is proof of this. That that Jesus has suffered his penalty for us as our representative head so that we might never have to suffer it. And therefore, all who believe in him can look forward to heaven. Emulation of Christ's life and teaching is only possible for those who have entered into our new relation with God through faith in Jesus as their substitute. The resurrection is not merely a savior over death. Still, the the resurrection is proof that the atonement was a satisfactory atonement in the sight of the Father and that death, the result of sin, is abolished on that basis. And so any gospel that merely talks of the Christ event, meaning the incarnation without the atonement, is a false gospel. Any gospel that that speaks about the love of God without pointing out his love that led him to pay that ultimate price for sin on the cross is a false gospel. The only true gospel is the one mediator who gave himself for us in the person and work of Jesus. Finally, just as there can be no gospel without the atonement as a reason for the incarnation, there can be no Christian life without it. Without the atonement, the the incarnation becomes a kind of deification of the human, and it leads to arrogance and self-advancement. With the atonement, the true message of Christ's life, and therefore of the life of the Christian man or woman, is humility and self-sacrifice. The Christian life is not indifferent to those who are hungry, sick, or even suffering from some of the lack. It is not contentment with our own abundance, neither the abundance of a middle-class living with homes, cars, clothes, and vacations. Nor is it satisfied with the abundance of education or even the abundance of good churches, Bibles, biblical teaching, or even Christian friends or acquaintances. Rather, it is the awareness that others lack these things and that we must therefore sacrifice many of our own interests to identify with them and thus bring them increasingly into the abundance we enjoy. In fact, Paul, writing on the Incarnation in 2 Corinthians 8 9, says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In Philippians 2, 5-11, he states this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, and did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a strong reminder that we must emulate Christ in every way and in every phase of our life. Now, the doctrine of the atonement, it demonstrates that God offers a solution to man's problem of sin. God, in his love, sent Jesus into the world. Jesus lived a sinless life as a man, all the while experiencing all the temptation mankind faces. And yet, he lived a sinless life in the middle of people who constantly criticized him while begging him for miracles. The people during Christ's ministry spit in his face and ridiculed him. But all the while, Jesus demonstrated that he cares for people by teaching, by healing, by setting the captives free, raising the dead, and so much more. And so all of this disproves the modern notion that God is not interested in man. By becoming a man, God demonstrated that he was interested in mankind through his own willingness to step into our time and into our space and die and rise for our sins. And so when we consider the doctrine of the Incarnation, let us worship the God of the Bible, the creator of all, and the redeemer of sinners who alone is worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory. I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.